We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us for this episode is Brian Dean, former striker with Leeds United, Sheffield United, a few other Premier League clubs in there as well. He's the first ever goal scorer in Premier League history, of course. Also coach of Norwegian side Sarpsborg. He's also been a club owner in a side in Kosovo. Fantastic insight here to his journey, also his views on coaching and management as well. Some brilliant stuff. Love to hear your thoughts at Gary Kernin on Instagram, at Gary Kernin on Twitter. This podcast is sponsored by Wildcard, a social engagement platform for youth sports teams. From creating programs to managing schedules, Wildcard runs your team on autopilot. If you are a youth coach who not only wants to communicate with players on scheduling and practice times, but also wants to engage with them on video feedback, conversations around the game, then I highly recommend you checking them out. With Wildcard, coaches can boost engagement using chat, video and virtual challenges. They can recognize athletes via badges and profiles. They can organize simpler scheduling, notifications, registrations and stats. And you can also send automated COVID assessments before games and practices, as well as rapidly onboard teams with invite by link and role delegation. I've seen the platform myself. I've taken a walk through it and I would highly recommend it. Lots of coaches at the minute, they're taking a break uh, from training so it's a great opportunity to do some research and implement a really enjoyable and productive communication platform with your team in the new year please go ahead check wildcard out they're doing a special promotion at the moment where the first 50 coaches to download it can use it for free that's right first 50 coaches to download it use it for free Coaches, check this out. The link is on the podcast information or you can go straight to wildcard, W-I-L-D-K-A-R-D dot I-O and download it. Definitely check them out. Here is Brian. Enjoy. Brian, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Really, really excited to have you on. It's always uh, interesting to to talk football your background and your journey very very interesting um the player the manager the football club owner the the first question i want to ask is which one's the toughest one well uh, you know i mean the, the football owner club owner thing is not really as you know it seems i mean we we kind of went in there um to try and help a, a club we had some ideas and um Basically, they, they, you know, it's it's one of those where we thought we had some modern ideas, um, and uh, you know, kind of things changed, and you know, respectfully, we've kind of come out of that. So it's not really going to go ahead. But in terms of the football and the management side of it, um, I think the the best way to summarise it is by saying, you know, what I did as a player was it came natural, mm. um, you know being a footballer um, and, you know, being in control of that situation um, is it, quite easy. I think when you're, when you're coaching and managing, you understand a lot more about the whole holistic approach to football and what it means to make sure that you get everything right. Um, you know, I borrowed a lot of my kind of, what I, what I thought was, I, I went into management and um, all of the managers that I played under had something to offer me and I, I chose which bits I thought were relevant and, and would would be useful in my um, type of management um, and then the, the stuff that I thought well no I wouldn't do it like that that was almost like a, a 
a warning as to not how not to do things based on my own experience as a player under certain managers. And I think I, I would sum it up by saying, you know, you try and create an environment that everybody wants to flourish in. And, you know, you want, you want to make things fun. You want to make sure that players want to come in and not want to be on the treatment table, you know, and all of those kind of things are things that happen to me as a player where you see when players, um, you know, when they don't want to go out there, when they might have a hamstring niggle and it's a 10-day job, but because things aren't going so well, they make it into a three-week job, for example. So you've got to have your wits about you. And I used all of those um, experiences to help to make me the manager that I wanted to play for. We'll get to the management. I'm going to go through some of your playing stuff first and then we'll get to the management side. But I just wanted to stay there on... You know, with so much about how coaching has changed and so much of the modern stuff and the science and the tactics, do you think sometimes that we forget that what you said there, you know, that the players want to come in and enjoy it every day and be a part of something? Yeah, I think, I definitely feel like that there are some brilliant aspects of modern coaching, but I also feel that, you know, we, we kind of, we want to take a lot of the, the um, enjoyment out of it with the way how we do things. And I base that on the fact that, you know, there are a lot of coaches who haven't played, um, but feel like they can pick up a, 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 you know, a book and and talk about what players should be going through. Look, you know, we're all different as people. And I think psychologically, you know, you know, to play the game, you, you need to understand how people can be feeling from one minute to the next. So there's a lot to take on. Um, and, I, and I think that what I've learned is that when I was playing, a lot of the coaching techniques that we had were lazy and outdated. And we didn't talk about how you how you kind of set up um, and work towards a plan that includes things like periodization. That includes, um, you know, how you how you might work over a week, the science behind it, the, the timings. You know, what kind of areas you're gonna um, play in. You know, what is relevant to to um, what you're going to be doing. And and I think, you know, looking back, um, it, a lot of the time it wasn't. Um, it wasn't relevant to what we were doing. So consequently, when you go on to the park, it it doesn't fit what you've been working on all week. And I think that's important. I think we've become better at that, you know, um, but definitely there's the other side of it where you have to keep challenging players. You have to keep challenging them to develop. Um, and, and I think that because I played at the top level, when, when you go in and you go in for a transfer, um, you know, for, for a large amount, there is less coaching and development then because everybody expects that they're getting the finished product. And because of that, you actually, you know, sometimes players stop developing. You know, I think that it becomes more about, um, and, it, and it's down to players as well to kind of, search out ways of improving themselves as well. You can't just expect a coach to develop you all the time. You've got to look at yourself and say, well, where am I going wrong? How can I be better? And so on. Um, But the other thing that we need to think about is how immature players are in that period of time. Um, They're they're also, you know, everybody loves, everybody thinks they're immortal at 20 to 30. And then other things start kicking in and being more important, like families, kids, um, having to provide for your family. And these are all things that affect um, players and, and their um, performances, believe it or not. Um, you've, you've probably got the start of this one uh, a million times about the first goal of the Premier League history. Um I know you. I was a United fan growing up, so you broke my heart at the time. I thought, even though we went on to win that league, I thought, oh, here we go, another season and not winning anything. So uh, appreciate that. But whenever your goal almost symbolised the change in the Premier League, there was an influx of the foreign players, the back pass rule change, coverage started going 
24-7. As a player, how did you or did you see the game on the pitch change in England over the next few years? I think what was relevant was the thing that it was when you look back and you see every 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 um, club had a new kit, for example. So we started off on that; it was a fresh start. Um, there were subtle changes, um, but I think from a player's point of view, the the things that started to matter was the fact that we were going to get more coverage on television, and we were going to be seen more rather than you know maybe 10 minutes on match of the day or so on all of a sudden players could showcase what they were about it obviously brought a, a higher level of scrutiny along with it as well but um you know it was something that we were craving at the time um you know and and then obviously that the whole kind of premier league thing just exploded um into what it is now and um yeah, it's. I think it's been fantastic, but I, I also feel that what it's allowed, the amount of money that came into the game, and don't get me wrong, money's good for the game, but what it's allowed is it's allowed people to be lazy. And, and when I say that, I, I think you only have to look at some of the absorbent fees that get played, paid for players. Now, there's nothing wrong if you're going to buy an asset for, let's say, £15 million, and then you're going to develop it into something that um, becomes worth thirty million pounds, and that happens a lot. But we also throw a lot of money without structure behind it. And if you did that in um, in industry, you'd get hauled across the coals. But because we're playing in a in a in a you know football's about you know the holy grail of being able to stay in the Premier League, we we kind of there are different sort of like strategies depending on where you are in the league. Um, you know, but I, I always, I, me personally, if I was a, <clears throat> if I was a club owner or if I, if I was building a club strategy, I would also, I was always um, err on the side of, you, you know, making sure that there is a proper engagement with the community and the community understand what they are trying to, what the club is trying to improve, uh, what the club is trying to actually uh, achieve. Mm. I think that's very important because that way you get to, you know, you, you get time, you get the buy-in from everybody and everybody works together in that community. Um, I remember when I was managing, I know we're jumping now, but um, because, because you kind of, you work uh, and they have, you know, when I went into Norway, when I went to Norway, they said, look, you know, this is how we want to play. This is the budget. You know, we're now for playing this way, but we want to be more professional. And, and working to those parameters, I think, are good. Um, you know, and, and that, you know, the structure in a lot of ways was better because I think that you can bring people in who don't understand and you, you, you cannot, might not necessarily have a structure. And that's when it all goes wrong. And we've seen how many times it can go wrong with clubs going through the floor. Um, you know, you have chief executives who are, you know, giving everybody what they want. And um, it ends up, you know, it ends up in tears. Mm. It's almost like a, a fantasy land sometimes that when we watch outside looking in and you watch these like the Sunderland documentaries and you see how they're run and you think, oh, wow, there's a lot, like you said there, there's still a lot of emotion involved in making decisions. Go, going back to the community engagement piece, do, do you think over the last seven to eight months with, with COVID and, and the football world being turned upside down, do you think clubs have moved further apart from their fan base or do you think some have, have made an opportunity to, to get closer in that respect? I think that, I think definitely now. I think um, when you, you know, when you look at some of the smaller clubs, the way how they have to engage with their stakeholders, um, you know, they obviously have to try and get closer because the community, you know, clubs rely on the community. Whether it's the guy who's making the programs, you know, whether it's the the caterers, whoever it is, you know, they they all of a sudden. They have to watch every penny, so you kind you have to manage that. Um, whether it's like that, at the top level, you know, I don't know. I think some clubs, you know, I, I had a conversation with somebody, and 
you know, even some of the clubs in the Premier League were, were, were living month to month. And I think that's really bad, bad and poor management. Um, so, it, you know, look, I mean, whether clubs are going to, you know, have a look at themselves, restructure, I, I don't know. I mean, unfortunately for me, I don't, um, I don't at this moment in time um, have that kind of engagement with a club. But I do sort of like stand on the outside and, and see a lot of the time um, that it, it almost becomes a, a personal quest when it's, you, you know, people need to take the long view when it comes to clubs. And, you know, we need to temper um, expectations, shall we say. You know, at the, at the beginning of a Premier League season, you know, only, only maybe four clubs can win the league. And then we hear about clubs wanting to break into the top four and go for Europe. Well, what's your strategy behind that and how long does it last? You know, you know we, we've seen where clubs can get a, a um, you know, come up like Fulham did and spend $100 million and then get relegated because it doesn't, it doesn't bond. Mm. You know, you, you're much better off, um, you know, you know, making sure that you have a, a strategy that grows year on year, and and sometimes, you know, fans can um, fans can be the problem because they'll demand. You know, I hear things. I mean, I, I don't. You know, you know, everybody talks about Mike Ashley. I don't really know too much. I know that I know the Newcastle fans hate him, for example. But you know, there's a guy who spent a lot of money on a club, and when they've gone down, he supported them. They're back up. Um, and, it, and it's personal to him. So that's just one example. You, you brought the example of Sunderland where, you know, that's a massive club as well and, and that was just poorly managed and it's people making those um, emotional decisions, you know, and, and kind of like, you know, going above the head of what is reasonable in, in terms of a decision like buying a player, you know, how much should you spend and then it becomes an emotional um, decision to say, yeah, I'm, I'm taking a punt on this. Well, football's not like that. You know, you can, football can be like a gamble. The game changing, and then obviously it took a while for in the Premier League, these the international managers, obviously the investment brought the changes in the management structure as well. And sometimes we glorify these, the foreign coaches that, that come in. But, you know, you played for some really, really good. Uh, English managers, British managers, which ones do you look back and think they were different class? It's, okay, so there's two ways to, to talk about playing for managers. Some of it, some are inspirational. <clears throat> you know, it was only after I went into coaching that I kind of understood um, more about what a weak structure should look like. Some of the coaches that I had were brilliant. You know, they, they really were. Techniques changed over the years because we had, you know, all coaches had to get better because, like you say, you know, the foreign coaches coming in, all of a sudden they had very st structured, methodical ways of doing things and they were getting results. And, and a lot of that is because confidence was growing inside of players because they spent a whole week perhaps doing a lot of um, tedious training, but also it, it, everything revolved around being out there on a Saturday and getting a result rather than let's come in, let's have five-a-side games all day or whatever, and then you go out there on a Saturday and everybody's looking at each other like, you know, there were, there were, only, there were very few clubs I feel could do that and... and I remember when I came into the top division and played against Liverpool, every every single player in that team knew about spatial awareness and keeping the ball and even even playing in five-a-side tournaments against Liverpool's older players. You know, these, these were guys who were very, very um, impressive in terms of how, how they played the game. So, we, everybody had to uh, every, every every you know the, the coaches coming in for me were brilliant but sometimes it's also a case of you're just getting the wheel the wheel regurgitated you know we talk about high press and all the rest of it yes the structures are better but it's what people were doing anyway 
I wanted to get your thoughts on this. So, so as a centre forward, you've seen some of the things today is bringing in a positional coach. Yeah. Would you have wanted, needed, appreciated a positional coach when you were a player? Definitely. Um, I think um, people don't. I mean, I mean, look. When when I there were times that I played, and what people forget is the most important part of a game is 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 making sure that when you well is defensively keeping sound, but then also you have to score goals. If you if you've got good forwards, then that's the most important part of your team. So having a kind of mentor or somebody who understood, you know, what it was like, you know, you know, what it was like emotionally to step over the line. Even when you talk about things like um body language. I, I remember when I went to Leeds and I in my first season there I struggled a little bit because you know, I'd gone from Sheffield United, which I'd grown up with them and we got promoted together. And then I went into Leeds, where it's my hometown club. And, um, you know, there was a lot of expectation because I'd, I'd cost a lot of money. And some of my old um, Sunday League uh, manager used to come to the games and he picked up on stuff that I was doing that, people in the coaching staff didn't you know and he, he said to me um brian he said like you know when you're when the ball's out on the right hold your run you know hold your run because if the ball comes in the box what i was tending to do was sometimes run run past the front post mm. so i'm not giving myself a chance but i think a lot of that came down to confidence and um want to be seen to be doing the right things which you know only when you kind of hear it from somebody who's looking at you and saying right Brian you don't need to make the run yet you make you make you run away first to, to buy a yard and then you go and, you, and it's about your timing um you know I, I kind of you know when I look at I look at games I look at center forwards now and some of them are struggling and I think I, I know why you're running under the ball but it's a, it's you're getting further and further away from building back up your confidence. So you know somebody's got to give you some kind of instruction. So yeah, I think when you think about the kind of money that's involved in the game now, you know you need people involved who are, um, who know the game, who who you know. And you might be talking about a defensive coach. I mean, some of the defending that I see nowadays is absolutely shocking. You know, nobody knows how to defend. You you only need to get a, um, a a good centre forward into the centre of the goal, and people don't know where to defend and how to defend. Everybody f defends facing the ball, ball watching. Um, nobody nobody does shoulders across the park, for example. You know, so you don't know what's behind you. Um, you know, so so I. But the the problem you have with that is that if you're a head coach, you're not going to want somebody like myself coming in and, and telling your centre forwards how to, to play and, and, and I can see why as well because if all of a sudden um, that player goes totally off the boil, it's your neck on the line. Mm. Talk about Leeds United there, do you think that's the difference between Bielsa is that it's not just his courage tactically but I mean he does things outside the box, do you think that's part of it as well? Well I don't know, I mean look, I, I you know, I don't, I don't know what Bielsa does. I'm not going to turn around here and say that he's a master tactician because mm. I just don't know what he does. You know, people say that it's all high intensity work. But I'll, I'll say this: when I saw that group of players performing under the last manager, you wouldn't believe that it was the same bunch of players. And I also, I think that sometimes that's because there's no room, there's no hiding place anymore when you bring in somebody like him. You can't blame it on the coach anymore. The players have got to step up or they're out, you know? Mm. And I think that, that can happen as well. But, yeah, I mean, he's, he's highly respected. I mean, he's obsessive in his preparation. Um, but actually, what he does tactically, I, I have no idea because I don't, you know, I don't know anybody who's down there. I don't ask. Um, but... He's done. Some, he's got something. I mean, if you think about what he's done, what he did about Bill Bow, 
Um, and the other and the other clubs that he's had, you know, he's obviously a, 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 an astute guy and a, and a master tactician. I mean, they play some fantastic football, um, you know, and, and the preparation that goes into that must be fantastic. But I, I wouldn't know, you know, what his preparation is, you know, how he sets his week up and so on. Going, going back to your Middlesbrough days, what was it like? It must have been a dream playing with uh, Gascoigne and Janino. How was that experience? Um, I mean, look, you know, Paul, Paul was, Paul wasn't Paul at Lazio or Tottenham. You know, it's a different character and a different creature altogether. I mean, he's. There were occasional glimpses of, you know, unbelievable skill and vision and so on. Janino was fantastic, um, although when he first came to the Premier League and, and uh, I played against him then, that's when he was really special. But it was, uh, don't get me wrong, it was great to be on the same pitch as those guys and being in that company, you know, he kind of, you know, he measured himself. I mean, there was other players, Christian Seeger, Alan Boxic, you know, the likes of Guy Pallister, Mark Swartz, uh, um, some fantastic players um paul ince you know um so yeah it was you know middlesbrough was an interesting thing because brian robson brought in players you know who you know established players and and by and large we we you know it was it you know it was it was a fantastic um project um but it, it's also so difficult to attract players to the northeast at times, um, you know, because if you're bringing in players from abroad, they want to be in London, you know, and the, the, you know their heads get turned, you know, if clubs are interested in them, and so and so on. But um, but no, it was it was look, it was great. It was a fascinating time for me to to be in and around those guys, and and you, you know, those guys were world stars. Just take a quick break here. This podcast is brought to you by Wildcard. Wildcard is a social engagement platform for youth sports teams. From creating programs to managing schedules, Wildcard runs your team on autopilot. If you're a youth coach who not only wants to communicate with players on scheduling, but also wants to go that one step further to engage with them on videos, on feedback and conversations around the game, then I highly recommend you checking them out. They're doing a special at the moment. The first 50 coaches to download it can use it for free. Coaches, please go ahead, check it out. This is the bargain of a lifetime. You can check them out on wildcard with a K.io or you can get the link on the podcast information. I've seen the platform myself. I've taken a look at it. It's absolutely brilliant. Great way to challenge players, to support players, to engage with players, to communicate with players and parents as well. Top class. Check out Wildcard. Really appreciate them sponsoring the podcast. Back to Brian. The Benfica move. This was before probably Portugal. It's become a bit of a powerhouse in football, just in the with the Euros and the, the coaches they've developed over the, the last few years. How was your yeah. experience with the football culture there? Did you enjoy it? Did you learn a lot? Or was it frustrating? No, it wasn't frustrating. There was nothing frustrating about it. I, mean, I think what you realise how big a club is when you're playing and um, after 20 minutes, if you're not scored, you know, you've got 70,000 fans wondering why. Mm. And that was a lot of pressure. Um, you know, it was it was great when things were going good. It was It was almost... A little bit like a soap opera at times as well, but um, overall, it was, it was you know I'd always wanted to go and play abroad, and so getting that opportunity, if I'd have turned it down, I might have been here at home now, going down a different path, and um, wondering what it would have been like if I'd have gone out there, and you know, it, it, you know, I, I have some kind of when I look back at what I did out there, I, I can sort of like hold my head up and say, well, you, you made a really positive um, contribution. You know, we, we when I went out there, I think we were sixth or seventh and we finished second. We we won the Lisbon Derby away 4-1 uh, and, I, and I got 
you know, they, they said I was the man of the match. I scored in that game and then we beat Porto 3-0 at home, scored in that. Very good goal again. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I went out there and I I looked at the, the Portuguese players and I saw how good they were technically. They were on a different level to what we had over here. And I was like, I remember the last, England played Portugal and beat them 3-0 at Wembley and, and I remember thinking if they can get their mentality right over there you know they'll, they will be right up at the top level and I think I don't think England have beaten them since but just on that like what's really interesting when I, when I was reading about that there was obviously Graham Souness brought you over um, Souness comes across really well on the TV you know the way he communicates it obviously he doesn't take any nonsense but his his managerial career we had Jim Adilton on here about two or three months ago when he was talking about how brilliant he was for relating to his position. Do you think that Sunas doesn't get the credit he deserves sometimes as a, as a manager? Um, I don't know, really. I mean, he, he had some very good jobs. He did, he did very well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that, you know, you know, I mean, Graham, Graham spent a fair portion of his time abroad as well. Um, and because it was quite, you know, it was always kind of a big personality. You know, when you're winning games, you know, everybody loves it. But when you're not winning games, you know, he stands up for himself. So, you know, I, I was fortunate to, to be with him and he was telling me why he's, he changed his managerial style from when he was at uh, Liverpool. And it was because he'd had a triple heart bypass. And in his mind, he was like, well, you know what? I'm not going to, why am I going to kill myself, you know? Mm. And I think he's got it off to a tee now where he's, you know, people people don't like him being outspoken sometimes and they might think, well, he's old and he's irre-. No, you know what? <laughs> that guy's done it at the top level and it doesn't change. I mean, we get things a little bit more shiny nowadays or whatever, but, you know, the psychology in football never changes. Just on that there, then last couple for you, and, I, and I'll let you run. Whenever, whenever you went to Sarpsburg, first managerial experience, and how difficult is having that first experience abroad in terms of adjusting and changing and adapting than it would have been at home? Yeah. I think because I'd um, played abroad, I, I kind of looked at it and I thought I looked at it as more of a challenge and something to to overcome. Um, and when I went out there, I, I just like I said, I took all the managers that I played under with me, and and I tried to address circumstances, thinking how some of them would have addressed those circumstances. And I think it worked. You know, as well as my experiences, um, I, I kind of looked at how you know I'd watched some managers coming in for the first day, like George Graham, you know, and I, and I thought, okay, what, what made George Graham, what gave George Graham that kind of respect? And it was, he came in and he, he said, look, I'm going to be fair with you. Everybody's going to get a chance. Um, you know, I don't have favorites. Um, but you know, if you, if you don't work hard for me or the team, then I'm not going to put up for it put up with it and I remember being in the changing rooms and thought well that that's I like that because I'd rather play for a manager who's gonna judge me on 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 me being honest or as honest as I can if I can't get in the team off the back of that then you know and and it's a little bit old school as well so that's that was one aspect of management that I used and and you know I kept my distance from the players by and large, but I also knew how to engage with them. Um, I think where a lot of managers in my day fell down was they didn't know how to man-manage players. And I, and I was a victim myself of poor man-management. So I made sure that when I um, became a manager, if I was going to drop somebody, I'd tell them and I'd com- continue to engage with them I'd leave the door open and I'd say to you well this is what you need to do um to to um to keep to get back in the team you know but I think the main thing is just honesty you know sometimes 
players don't always agree with what you're saying, but if you confront them and you engage and say, look, this is why, then they're going to respect it. Yeah, it, it's interesting, Brian, because you know, from a, from a coaching community perspective, we've got this thing at the minute where it's all about relationships. Um, and obviously, like coaches, when they're watching on TV, they say they see the really, really small percentage. You see Klopp hugging someone, you see Guardiola high five, and someone you think that it's about almost becoming their friend. But what you're saying there is that you would rather have the honesty. Uh, like, I still think that exists today. Yeah, I, I think, look, I mean, that's just one aspect. I mean, we've only had five minutes, but you create a siege mentality with your squad and your players. You build respect, and um, that's all part of it. You know, if you if your team is going to give you everything, then I was never I was never shy to show emotion because you know, in, in, you know, you know, some managers were like the, the the teacher you had at school who. You know, if you did really well, you knew it because he, he very seldom gave praise out. And some people react differently. You've got to be able to uh, manage all different types of personalities to get the best out of them. You know, so one technique might not necessarily um, be the same. You work the same way as it would for somebody else. And, and But that's, again, that's being clever. That's about, you know, we, we had managers who, I had managers who would manage everybody the same and then what would happen would be you'd lose half the squad because, you you know, there was some people who resented the fact that, you know, there were, some people had better relationships and some people were just there to do their job. So you have to kind of take a holistic approach. Um, and, I, and I did that and I, and I also, you know, I, I took things from my playing career where... You know, I found myself out of the squad, but you know, there was there was a manager who kind of tried to humiliate me, and I thought I could never do that because I knew what I felt about him, and and still do to this day. Um, but then there's there was another manager, um, one of the one of the best managers, bad managers was Mick McCarthy, and Mick, when I went and played for Sunderland, he um, he just said, "Look, Brian, uh, I'd like I'm taking you on loan till the end of the season." It's just till the end of the season. There's no contract afterwards. Um, but I know you've got someone and I want you to help us get over the line. And I could accept that. I don't like, you know, you don't like people talking fluff and nonsense. And, and you know, there was a lot of that. And, and I just feel it was very unnecessary sometimes. Um, you know, but especially that one situation was, you know, I kind of look at, I look back at the situation where, somebody was trying to make a, 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 an example of me. You know, I mean, I remember at the time it was we, we it was pre-season and we went and played a pre-season game and I was the only player who didn't get on and then he came in with an excuse to me. Oh, I forgot. And I thought, it was humiliating, but, you know, I thought to myself, that's more of a measure of you than it is me and my ability, you know? And I, and I still had a contract there, but I would never put somebody in that position because I think, once you do, um, it'll come back and bite you because there'll be other players there who'll see it and not take too kindly to it. Mm. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, last couple for you. What advice would you have for a young coach who's looking at operating and working with, the, with professional players eventually? Um, I think you've got to know yourself. You know, you can't, if you if you feel as though you can wing it, then you'll get found out. You know, there, for me, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people in the game who have come in and they've, you know, they'll build false Facebook pages and they'll say that, you know, I was doing this and I've done that. And, and, and for me, I, I kind of, you know, you've got to do the hard yards. You know, I was only a manager for two years and, and it's, you know, it was a, it, it was very, very hard work. It was stressful. There's no easy, um, there's no easy way. But you know what? Those two years were backed up by 21 years as a player. So that you know that that's that's why I, to a to a degree I succeeded because I I knew how the players thought 
And I, and I think you need to make sure that you put those hours in understanding. You. Look, everybody's different. Not everybody's got a, a playing background. But what you've got to be able to do is you've got to have something and you've got to be able to give something that's a little bit different. Otherwise, you're just like anybody else. And you talked about how important it was. Goals change games and goals are getting harder to come by these days. It seems everyone is lining up to tell you how great their team is, but they just lack a number nine that scores goals. Uh, what would you say to a to a a player who wants to make center forwards, or sorry, a coach who wants to make center forwards better? Is it to look at the the tactical stuff of the game? Is it the data? Is it the physical stuff? Or where would you say holds the most amount of weight? Uh, it's difficult. I mean, my my journey. Me becoming a centre forward, and if I could go back and do it again, that there's, you know, I was fortunate that I was, you know, I worked with one of the first kind of strength and conditioning coaches in football, um, and uh, you know, we we found the margins, you know, those percentages, you know, I'm talking about back in the early nineties where nobody was working on, you know, so I, I'd look at it from that point of view. I'd look at the psychological side of it, you know, I'd look at movement. Uh, and, I, and again, I'm, I'm fortunate that because of what I did, you know, a lot of that DNA is with me and it's there. I could pass it on. You know, if you be a centre forward playing, you have to work out what a, a player's strengths are and then and then work on those individual strengths. You can't just say, right, well, I'm going to knock this ball. You know, I'm going to ask you to to play between the centre back and the full back and look into the, you know, look on his shoulder and we're going to, you know, I want you to look to, um, look to drop into that space, shall we say? If they haven't got pace, you need pace to play on somebody's shoulder. You know, you look at Jamie Vardy and um, you know, there's a player who you would always say, look, play on people's shoulder. People can't live with that, so you would. You would make a program to, to make sure that he's getting the best. You wouldn't try and turn Jamie Vardy into a, you know, a, a centre forward who's gonna, you know, put, you know, make movements when the ball goes out wide to kind of pull off to the fast eight because he's five foot nine, you know. So you you've got to look at the individual and, and try and feel where how you can improve what he's got. The other thing I'd say, just to finish that off, is that you've got to understand personalities as well. Mm. You know, so, you, you you know, we talk about, in, in football, they talk about technical, tactical, physical, psychological, and so on. You have to you have to try and understand, and culturally as well, because that's a big area where people don't really understand where, you know, for example, a black player like myself will have a different background and upbringing to somebody who is white. You know, because my parents have different, you know, we, we you know, they came here, we eat different food, um, you know, they, they have a different culture, um, and, you know, there are different things in discipline, all kinds. So you need people who understand all of those things, and, and you know, you, you, can, you can sort of like, that extra sort of like percentage, if you've got, um, if you've got somebody, let's say, uh, you know, if you've got somebody who looks like them, for example, then the chances are they're going to be able to unlock something a little bit easier than, you know, I've, I've heard it where I was talking to a guy who's a head of an academy and this particular academy were getting a lot of trialists from um, the suburbs of Paris. Now, anybody who knows about the suburbs of Paris, that's where, you know, a lot of the very good black uh, African talent come from, you know, the raw talent. And they were getting these guys in and um, their coaches couldn't connect with them. So they were dismissing them. And these were B-licensed coaches, for example. So what you've actually got is you might have somebody there, but because their development as a coach was going to suffer by trying to understand these players, they were letting them go. So mm. it's it, 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 it's the wrong way around, if you get what I mean. Mm. You know, the, the mentality was wrong in that they should be thinking, right, okay, this guy's got some very good attributes. How can I 
tap into that? How can I improve myself and get the best out of this um, this individual? You know, how can I be known and renowned for, for some? You know, and, and that means, like I said, understanding culture. You know, but we don't do that. We kind of we we um, you know it might be the other way around as well. I'm not you know I'm not advocating anything. I'm just saying that um you know you've got to understand what you're dealing with and, and, and sometimes people don't respond to, to what you're telling them you've got to try and understand why mm. you know i suppose that's probably why i'm not coaching and managing now but um, <laughs> well well what is what is the plan is it to, to get back in the sidelines or is it more as a as a ownership or strategic manager or executive no, no. My, my coaching when I when I came back from Norway, I had two years in Norway. I thought it went really well. First year we stayed up with the smallest budget. Second year we finished eighth, got to the uh, cup semi final, and I came back and you know I, I couldn't even get an interview. And and I I, I remember being on my pro license and um, I remember the uh, tutors, you know, is brilliant guy, a guy called Jim Fleeting up in Scotland, him and Donald Park, and um, Jim was very passionate, and, and he, he said, look, you know, you have to keep coaching, even if you lose your job, you got to keep coaching, keep coaching, he said, because it, the longer you stay out of the game, the harder it is to, to get back in, and I went two years, and I, I kind of went, you know what, Brian, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen for you, so it's... Um, it's probably a good time to pack in, and and obviously there were there were other there were other things that kind of came into that. Um, you know, I, I always felt that I had something to offer, but I wasn't. <clears throat> I got to an age where I thought I can't go run up and down the country trying to compete in those areas, and I, and I kind of just said that's enough for me. Um, for, for in, in terms of what I'd like to do, I'd like to get involved on the strategic side of a, of, of, of a club, and you know. But again, it's you know these these um, posts are not easy to um, to come by, and it would have to be the right thing for me as well. Like it's not it's not something I'm really chasing now anymore. Um, mm. I really enjoyed my time as a coach and a manager, and. Um, you know, it's a it's a real roller coaster. You know, it, you know, different from when you're football when you're when you're playing football. But um, you know, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I, but I think it's it's like a young man. You 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 need to have the support of the people around you. You know, the the, the management and the, you know, and I, and I think the the kind of role when I came back from Norway and I was like. You know, we need more sporting directors in this country. You know, we need more people who, um, you know, who who are kind of like that middle management. So they're custodians of the club, but they're there to support the manager and the co manager coach as well. But you know, co until the clubs start kind of having more um, club-owned um, departments, then they're going to struggle. Mm. You know, I think where I you know, now, you know, my journey in terms of football is more to do with, you know, uh, we, we, myself and some ex-professional footballers set up a company called Phoenix Sports and Management, uh, Phoenix Sports and uh, Media Group. And and it's more to do with the other side of football, not, not agents. It's more to do with helping players um, deal with the transition um, from football, so you know, short courses in clubs, um, you know that that kind of mentoring side of things and that understanding. You know, everybody involved played at the top level in the Premier League, um, and we've kind of married up with best in practice people from business to make sure that we we deliver an accountable service. Um, when I say accountable, you know, I'm accountable to with Phoenix because my name's attached, you know, I have to vet um, what we're offering and what we want to deliver, what we want to deliver um, and what we're passionate about. We're not, we're not a company that kind of looks at it and says, right, this is something, you know, we, we're chasing, you know, the, 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 the big balance sheets. We've got more of a kind of holistic look to, um, 
to, to what happens in and around sport and we want to kind of change the we want to change the landscape in terms of making players accountable for themselves or making athletes accountable for themselves and I really enjoy that um, it, it's you know I love my football um, the pandemic has kind of made me um, look a little bit more inwards at what's important to me um, you know you, you, you can you can go out there and you can offer yourself all over the place and people will always take you up on it if it's free but yeah. it's you know when you've when you've got that much experience um, it, it's it's good to hold back and if, and if people want you um, and want those experiences it's better to consult so, so that's kind of where I would want to see myself within a club helping a club to kind of bring its standards up and, and, and help with the infrastructure. Um, so, so, yeah, that, that's more where I'm at rather than going into management and spending all my time on the, um, on the, on the pitch. Recruitment's very interesting to me because I think that, you know, recruitment, I, I, I do kind of wonder sometimes what people are doing with their recruitment. You know, it's, um, we, we have to create characters you know, I spoke to a, a very good friend of mine who, you know, he operates at one of the one of the best clubs in the country, and you know, their their idea of youth recruitment is looking into the character of people. You know, what if you're doing an exercise, you know, and there's a forfeit, you know, which which ones, which of your players are gonna, um, if it's ten press ups, which ones are gonna do eight, which ones are gonna do ten, and which ones are gonna do twelve. The one who's doing 12 is the guy who wants to make sure he does 10 good ones. The one who does 10 is the guy who um, wants to, you know, he's, he's happy doing 10, 10 push-ups. And the one who's doing eight is the one who's trying to cheat. So that's, those are characters. And um, you've got to make sure that you have more players in there who, um, who want to do 12 press-ups. Brian, first class, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on and uh, really, really enjoyed that. Uh, best of luck with with the Phoenix group and, and we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that there. And if we can help in any way, please let us know. No worries, Gary. It's cool. All right. Brilliant. Cheers, Brian. All the Cheers. best. Thanks again. Cheers. Bye. All the best. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, Head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.